The following podcast is an American Influencer Council production. Welcome to Creators with Influence, a podcast on the intersection between the creator economy and digital culture, where entrepreneurs come to share empowered stories. Kiana Smith Brunito is a creator advocate, champion of lifelong learning, and movement maker. Karsten Tannis, known as Skinny Was Here, is a solopreneur, internationally recognized multimedia creator, and a promoter of creative inclusivity. Together, Together they, they are, are your hosts. hosts. Hey, Kiana, welcome back to another episode of Creators with Influence. We're doing it again. How are you today? Good. It's always a pleasure to see my co-host. Likewise. And today we have a very special guest. Yeah, we have Deja Fox. And uh, before I I get into it, I want to share a quote. Some people look at things and ask why. I dream of things that never were and ask why not. I stumbled on this quote from JFK in high school, and I always come back to it. And for those dreamers and glass ceiling breakers, it's really a mission statement. And this quote makes me think of Deja Fox. She's such a trailblazer. It's truly awesome um, to see, you know, someone so young with such a vision and I bring up this quote because she's truly asking why. And at 21, she's a self-proclaimed future POTUS, which I just love. She's at Columbia University in the city, and she's founder of Gen Z Girl Gang. How fun of a name brand is that? And she's the former influencer surrogate strategist for Vice President Kamala Harris. I mean, OMG. Yeah, this girl is doing it. (laughs) Without further ado, let's introduce Deja Fox, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Thanks for the intro. Of course. Uh, I'm flattered. I'm flattered. Super hard to follow in your footsteps for anyone at your age, but I, I love the work you're putting in and what you're trying to do, balancing school and you know, starting your own business and your brand. You gotta get into this. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a lot of a lot of aspects, but I'm excited. Yeah. A lot of juggling. <laughs> a lot of juggling. But that's what it takes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's reflective of my generation. I think we're all doing a little bit of everything. One hundred percent. Well, speaking of the, the generation, right? Like I think that one thing that definitely stands out was the like your age and and how you're able to accomplish so many things, you know? So we talk a lot about finding our purpose here. Can you tell us how you found your purpose? Yeah, that's a big question. And, you know, I am only 21. So (laughs) let's be clear, my purpose is probably evolving in a little bit here. Um, But I've always thought that that question of like, what do you want to be when you grow up didn't really fit me in the way that I I saw it fitting other people. and I think as, as I've tried out things, right, I've, I've worked as a strategist for PACs and for candidates. I've been a student. I'm a founder, right? I've, I've worked with huge brands like Nike and Mac. But at its core, I realized that I'm so much more than any of those titles, right? I'm this through line. And that for me, my purpose and what I, what I really want to be when I grow up uh, is a good role model. Um, and I think that social media has really allowed me the opportunity to be that, right? To model that you can be all of these things at once, 
um, and that you can make mistakes, that you can try again, um, and that you can be imperfect. Um, and I, I think that that's sort of who I am, what I aspire to be. Um, it's just a good role model. That's amazing. I love that. I mean, you know, social media gives you a platform and a lot of people don't realize, you know, what, what that comes with. And it's a lot of responsibility. That's absolutely right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, you can grow this following, but this following holds you to, you know, a lot, uh, a high expectation. And, you know, it comes with so much. And I, I love that, you know, you saying that you want to be a role model. People are listening to what you have to say. And, and you have a lot of young girls looking up to you. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, you know, what you were saying about building this brand and a lot of responsibility coming with, with um, having a following, having a platform is absolutely right. And one thing I want to uplift about my journey as someone who, who's built this sort of community online is that I didn't really choose it. It actually in some ways chose me. My first viral moment was when I was 16 years old. Uh, and it was a video of me at a town hall with my senator at the time talking about birth control access. And I didn't record it. I didn't even post it. And when I woke up the next morning, 18 million people had seen it, right? I was on oh, CNN wow. the next day and then lobbying on Capitol Hill. The same thing happened to me when I was 19. Um, a video that I had done uh, months later, someone with, I think they had like 500 followers on Twitter, took a clip of it, put it out, um, and that clip blew up, went viral. Uh, and I, I gained like 10,000 followers on Instagram that night, all in Incredible. my freshman year of college, right? <laughs> And so these viral moments really are what have like catapulted me um, into the spotlight. Uh, and neither time was I ready. Um, neither time did I choose it. Uh, and so I think in some ways I'm, I'm in a unique position there. Uh, but I recognize all the same, the responsibility that comes with it, that comes with that visibility. And I think something that I, I tend to do is default to perfect, right? Trying to hold myself to this perfect standard. Um, but what I've realized is that Perfect people in this day and age, right, when everything is recorded, um, are just good liars. And I'm not. Wow. <laughs> uh, I've never been. And uh, I think that, in truth, to be a good role model is not to be perfect, right? Um, but to show up imperfectly. Um, because that's really when people can see themselves in me. Uh, and I think that that's at the core of what I want to do uh, and my mission. And it's worth more than being perfect. I think one thing that stands out is obviously your, your passion for the people, right? Yeah. And, you know, we have a common thread with a lot of the guests that we've been interviewing where um, they grew because they were in it for their community and, and not necessarily like for their own personal gain. The moment that you had where you're standing up to the senator is like, that wasn't planned. That was something that you felt deeply inside. But, um, you know, just going back into that, we also know that you you've won awards for, for this, right? Can you tell us about some of the advocacy work that you are doing? Yeah, so I got my start when I was just 15. Uh, I experienced what one in 30 teens in the U.S. do, and that's called hidden homelessness. So I wasn't living with a family of my own. Wow. Um, and it was through that lens that I first saw the way that the sex education in my school district in Arizona, which was last updated in the 80s, was literally built to disadvantage students like me, right? Who didn't have parents at home to fill in these gaps. Um, and so I started getting active and I started telling my personal story at school board meetings and then bringing my friends along 
to do the same. And it's this idea of relational organizing, right? That if I care about something, the people who care about me are gonna care about it too. And that that's how we create change that has permeated my understanding of how I mobilize my community online, right? That these are digital relationships that can, that can create real change in politics, yes. in the world, um, and in the lives of others. Um, and so, you know, it, it really was that grassroots organizing experience uh, that has taught me how to use social media as a tool. Um, but, you know, that, that advocacy only grew. When I was 16, I had the viral moment um, with Planned Parenthood, and uh, the Washington Post wrote an article calling me the new face of Planned Parenthood, which, you know, I've continued to work with them over the years. I won their Catalyst for Change Award uh, here in New York. Um, and I co-founded a group my senior year of high school uh, with other teens who were experiencing housing insecurity and any other number um, uh, of things. And they, they still exist to this day in my hometown as peer sex educators. Um, and then I moved all the way to the big city yeah. from Arizona, uh, all by myself as the first of my family to attend college. Uh, and it was in that moment uh, that I really saw community change for me that it wasn't just the people who lived around me, which is how I defined it in the past, that it was actually more often the people who shared my experiences that I was connecting with online. Uh, and that was why I founded Gen Z Girl Gang, which is sort of my most um, recent advocacy piece. Um, uh, and it really is founded out of this idea that uh, our relationships are valuable, that they too are advocacy and activism, um, and that social media for my generation can absolutely be used as a community building tool um, that shifts culture and really puts power in people's personal networks. You talk about your your brand being the intersection of social yeah. justice and social media, and that's just such a profound statement. And I think it's probably one that uh, Vice President Kamala Harris really resonated with. Tell us about that opportunity. It started off as a, a mentorship and yeah. it morphed into a job, uh, which says a lot about your go-getting nature. Share that experience. Yeah, this is a really great story. Um, I was unpacking my sophomore year dorm, like literally unzipping my suitcase, hanging my clothes up in my little wardrobe, uh, when I got a DM on Instagram uh, with a job description. Uh, from someone close to the campaign who I who I'd you know talked to them about uh, potential of mentorship and um, some of the places where I saw overlap between my story uh, and Kamala Harris's, uh, and it was just that it was a job description. I said, I have some friends that just graduated this year. Like, let me let me check in with them. I think I have some people I might recommend. And she said to me, you know, I think you would be a great fit. Um, and two weeks later, I was packing my dorm back up. And I was moving to Baltimore, which was a city I'd literally never been in, uh, signing the lease on my first apartment. I was 19 years old. Um, and starting work at a job that didn't exist before I got there um, on a campaign that also, so incredible. in hindsight, right, we're like, oh, well, she did great. Um, but in hindsight, you have to remember, this was a huge leap. I was withdrawing from school as the first in my family to go to college. It's a big deal. Um, and on top of that, there were 20 other candidates, right? It was a huge field. Yeah. Uh, it was very competitive. And so, you know, taking that jump in the primaries um, really was just that. It was a leap of faith, for sure. Wow. So awesome. Man, so what was that transition like from going from 
because I, I personally love Arizona. Like, yeah. It's like parts <laughs> of it that I like. Um, I love going to like Apache Lake or nice. Apache Canyon. It's one of my favorite places. But how was that transition going from, you know, the West Coast, like being the first person in your family to attend college and yeah. then now picking up and going to Baltimore, which is a city that, you know, has its like many facets of, of life as well. You yeah. Know, like, how did you envision the trajectory of life after that? The thing that I learned on the campaign and the thing that I'll carry with me, there were many, but one of the biggest lessons was to be fearless. Um, I knew that school would be there. Columbia's been there since 17, whatever. It's going to be there when I get back, right? It, it was. 100%. <laughs> um, and I have to say that I really hesitated um, to take that leap. I couldn't see past my nose in some ways. Uh, when I first got the job offer, I was thinking, how am I going to afford to move my things? How am I going to be able to find an apartment? Uh, what are what are people going to say about me? Uh, what are my peers going to think? Uh, and a piece of advice that a mentor gave me was to zoom out. Uh, and she reminded me in that moment that I'm writing this story, right? And that at mm -hmm. the end of the day, this is my life. These are my choices that I'm going to have to live with. Uh, and when I zoomed out and I thought about what choice is going to make the best piece of my story, I knew immediately it was to take that leap and to go go forward on the campaign. Um, and I did. And I think the way that that has changed my life trajectory and my understanding of what is possible is by allowing me to think bigger, uh, to zoom out, uh, and to really take advantage of the opportunities in front of me uh, without being sort of tethered to the shore and afraid to, to take the leaps. And just in terms of activism, I think, you know, your generation is so vocal and, you know, so politically charged. You know, why do you think it's, uh, why did you feel, you know, that calling, you know, to, to, to stand up, you yeah. know, the, the you know, opportunity striked and you, you took it. How can you help motivate those who, who don't necessarily have the courage that you have? Yeah. I mean, one, I want to say that I didn't know I had that courage either, right? <laughs> like I was hesitant too. It took a lot of coaching. It took a lot of people affirming me, particularly other women of color. Uh, standing in my in my corner to say that you can do it uh, and that when you get here I'm going to back you up um, and so I think in part it's knowing that you have community right yes. building building networks of people who support you um, and can help you make those choices uh, but I also when I think about sort of this question of why why did I take the jump into politics I have to remind people that my life has always been political right I grew up in a household uh, where we didn't always have enough where I grew up in section 8 housing um, and on food stamps and the things that literally determined um, if I could survive, not only thrive, but survive, were often made outside of my reach by people elected, right? Uh, and so my life has always been political and politics wasn't just this like hobby or, or um, you know, a pastime for me. It was literally uh, my every day. Uh, and so when I was sitting, and I, this was actually one of the pivotal moments in making that choice, um, I was sitting in a classroom at Columbia uh, my sophomore year, like I said, I had about two weeks between when I unpacked my dorm and when I left. Um, and we were reading like Aristotle or something. Uh, and I looked around me and I thought, what the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> like the most important election of my lifetime is happening right now. Yeah, right. Yes. And I have the skills uh, to make a difference. I have the opportunity to make a difference. And I'm sitting here doing what? Um, and... You know, getting an education is really valuable. It's not something I take for granted, but I knew that it would be there. And so 
uh, I think one, having that sense of urgency, knowing that uh, politics isn't a game, that it has real life consequences, um, knowing that I had the confidence um, to own my experience as my expertise and say that my perspective is valuable and necessary um, and that it is my, my responsibility in some ways uh, to play my part in this uh, really shaped my, my choice there. Everything we do, like, you can't be a spectator. Mm. You know, this is, you have to stand up and, 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 and make an impact. Yeah. And you're truly a change agent. Thank you. And then just circling back to Girl Gang, I see that yeah. you're, you're now merchandising it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Gen Z Girl Gang, like I said, it launched out of my freshman year dorm. Um, and the direction was never very clear. Uh, it was always sort of led by our community members. Um, but we're, we're two years old now. Um, and we've decided that the right next step for us uh, was creating merchandise, and we won a competition with Instagram and FanJoy wow. at the very first Creators Week, um, and we've been able to create this merch line uh, that launch launches uh, September 8th, um, and it's something very personal to us uh, for two reasons, and the first uh, is the production. Um, every bit of it is tied to who we are as a group, right? We have tanks that say things like sisterhood, but we also have a hoodie that on the back um, has notes from our leaders to our younger selves. Things like you'll find celebration or rest and that you don't have to make yourself smaller for other people. We have a tote bag that says like hot girls heal and, uh, mm -hmm. and has these messages about boundary setting, like saying no and knowing when to rest. And so the merchandise in and of itself is very personal. Uh, but it also is purpose-driven. All of the proceeds from it are being reinvested into our community in the form of micro-grants and programming. Um, and so in some ways, it's uh, a model for how uh, our community can tangibly support us in our work so that way we can support them. Uh, and it's a creative way to do it. Uh, and I'm really, really excited for it. And it has been a labor of love. It has been really tough, but... <laughs> I love it. And what in terms of just the going through the process of making merchandise, yeah. we always tell creators, you know, think about product development because it's another way, it's another revenue stream. Yeah. And it's a great way to bring in um, incremental growth. Yeah. And yeah, so totally. it's exciting to see you expand your business in this capacity. Yeah, I mean, it's exciting for us too. It's, it's something that, um, you know, we hadn't considered, but... Definitely as we explore what it means to be creators, uh, right? Not just as individuals, but as a collective. Yeah. Um, I think that things like merchandise are something a lot of people are considering. But one thing that I like about it is it's not just merchandise, right? It's actually like, like you said, the messaging behind yeah. it. And, and even where the proceeds go to, like it's, it's thoughtful and you've, you've thought it out in more than one way, but I think one of the best things about branding when I think about you know like even music and stuff t-shirts mm -hmm. and stickers things like that anything that spreads the message but also uplifting an entire community at the same time I think that that's so important and very compelling as well thank you thank you we're really proud of it and like I said it is very personal they're literally our words <laughs> Love it. Um, yeah. so and then wait. you know as creators we kind of take on an entire workload right totally. 
while still trying to maintain a, a life or, you <laughs> yeah. know, like anything personal. So like, how do you balance that all in, in, in your busy schedules? Yeah, I'm working on that piece for sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I always tell people, you know, I think people look at me and they hear these things like activist, strategist, student, you know, founder and think, wow, she does it all. Um, but the truth is I don't do it all, right? I have teams of people who support me. I have an agent, um, a speaking agent, and one for, for digital. I have a team at Gen Z Girl Gang behind me, right? Um, and we support each other. Uh, so I think that the real truth of the matter is that like, if you wanna do 110%, you're gonna have to delegate some. You're gonna have yes. to build communities around you. Um, there's just no other way to grow, right? Like you literally cannot do it all. Um, and I don't, <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. pretend I did. Yeah. And I think delegation is something a lot of people, I have a hard time delegating. Me too. Um, Me too. Working on it. Yeah. Working on it. I'm working on it for a decade. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I think that, you know, you know, being transparent and, you know, saying that to your followers is important because I think people aren't transparent enough and they see the titles and they see the honors and they're like, I can never do that. Mm -hmm. But if you put your mind to it, you can achieve anything. And you said, you know, you said you were section eight and your story is just tremendous. And so I think a lot of people can, you know, listen to your story and truly hear empowerment. You know, you're a Filipina American, you know, and I think, you know, you have a creator of color and you're not a woman I would say no to. (laughs) That's for sure. (laughs) So I did have a a quick question, just kind of circling back to like, you know, 2020, right? It's such an an interesting year, a very politically charged year. (laughs) I want to say probably one of the most politically charged years of even my lifetime, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I love what you said about politics, like everything that you do is, is affected by politics, mm-hmm. right? Even if people don't want to accept that notion um, or, you know, regardless of whatever political party, what, what's happening on Capitol Hill affects us all. Absolutely. Right? Um, what do you think the, uh, the effects or the impact of 2020 will be on the Gen Z? Yeah, I mean, wow, this is a big question. I, I give a lot of thought to it, right? Yeah. I spend a lot of time talking about my generation. Um, and I think 2020 taught us one really big lesson in sort of two different ways for my generation. Um, and the first thing I want to point out is we saw someone like Donald Trump get elected, right? It was completely unexpected. Yes. Um, and the second piece is this pandemic, which threw us into complete uncertainty. Um, and so I think one thing our generation uh, is becoming really, really well adept at is handling uncertainty and the unexpected. Um, and I follow that up by saying that uh, I think our generation has seen sort of this mask get pulled back on authority that people literally don't know what the fuck they're doing. Like people don't know what they're doing. So why not me is the question, right? That. And I think that's the question of Gen Z is, is why not me? And that is so powerful. It's empowering. We're also the first generation to grow up with phones in our hands at all times that you could Google uh, how to make a nonprofit, uh, (laughs) how to bake a cake, right? Like there is nothing you can't learn how to do. Uh, And so the question I think that that really 
uh, is sitting with my generation after 2020 is why not me? And the United States will hold its 60th presidential election on November 5th, 2024. It's wild that it's already like coming up so fast. So fast. (laughs) There's no recovery time. So fast and furious. What are ways we can ensure youth are represented at the polls? You know, I think that African-Americans don't vote enough. Getting, you know, seniors in high school to realize their responsibility is something that, you know, we can all do more of and making sure that, you know, underrepresented communities don't feel left out. Mm -hmm. And I think there's just so much that can be done as we march towards this election and making sure people realize that, you know, your vote matters. Mm -hmm. It's so, so important. And I think communities of color really struggle with this. Yeah. And, and I think rightfully so in some ways, I think we really have to flip the narrative instead of saying, you know, it's your fault because you didn't vote. Mm -hmm. Um, we have to think the other way. And this is the organizer mindset is how do we meet people where they're at? Why aren't they voting? And I think in large part that is because the people, um, who we're talking about young people, for example, um, aren't being spoken to right? Their concerns are not being met. They're not being prioritized. Um, and they're not being represented. And so I think we have to hold our, our political uh, representation to account. They are elected leaders. They work for us. Uh, and they have to work for our votes. They're, our votes are earned. They're not yes. to be expected. Uh, they are to be earned. And I think in this next two years, as we, we come up uh, to 2024, uh, or three years, uh, is about earning those votes, about earning that trust um, and engaging young people. And I think one note I want to put particularly as we talk about uh, creating intergenerational movements and engaging young people is that young people are incredibly engaged, right? Who do we see out there door knocking? Who do we see out there organizing? Those are young people on the ground doing that work. Um, And what I would encourage uh, as a next step there is that young people shouldn't just be the implementers. They should be the strategists. They should be the messengers. They should be board members, yes. right? They need, uh, we need a place in real leadership because no one wants to be told what to do, right? That's not empowering. Um, and so the real call to action for me uh, is less at, at the level of the individual, right? Of like, you go out and vote, you go out and organize, but rather on the other side, let's hold people to account. Let's make them make space for us for sure. uh, and make them earn our votes. I love that. Most people look towards like every four years when in fact there are other local elections that we should be taking part in. But aside from that, I also feel that some of these systems that are in place are a little bit antiquated, right? Yeah. So what are some ideas that you have to help change that? (laughs) I often sort of make this joke, um, again, talking about youth and youth uh, showing up to the polls, that if we all voted on an app on our phone, uh, I bet you'd see it flipped, right? The 70-year-olds the wouldn't pull up. And that's because the way that yeah. we have to do this, I, I learned how to mail something when I learned how to vote, right? Like I hadn't been mailing things. That was new to me. I had to like call my mom and figure it out. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it would be the other direction. Our grandparents would be calling us trying to figure out how to vote if we were doing it on our phone. So you're absolutely right to point out that the the process is a barrier. Um, and, and for, you know, other communities, 
particularly communities of color, immigrants, right, those barriers become even higher. And so as we think about uh, a better system, I really think it is about dreaming. And I think this is where young people are particularly useful uh, as visionaries and dreamers because we think outside the box, right? Um, and so. I love the mail-in ballot process because <laughs> of, you know, COVID conditions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think so many people showed up because it was the process was seamless. They made it easier. Yeah, right? and you were more informed about it. So I think you're you're spot on about you know dreaming up a a, a a new system. I think even if we get into just COVID and the ability to have different apps on your phone yeah. and all of that has changed the way we think of like just tracking and and so the possibilities are are really endless if if government would get some keep up keep up <laughs> exactly. Well, one thing that I always find like super interesting, especially about um, you know the the previous uh, you know POTUS, I felt like I was watching some crazy Netflix show. <laughs> And it just, it was so polarizing, that, but you could not look away. And yeah. every day for four years, it was insanity. And just when I thought it couldn't get any crazier, it, did. it absolutely did. But one thing that, you know, always stands out, especially because you've been able to utilize social media to connect to people as well. Mm. It's just watching how, you know, the leader of the country and, you know, his constituents around him just utilize social media yeah. for like, the worst kind. What are some ideas that you have regarding social media and politics? Yeah, I mean, I think that what you're talking about is is spot on because the way that Donald Trump used social media was like something we'd never seen. Uh, it was brand new, and that's because when we think about presidential elections, the digital space is brand new. It's only existed for like three or four election cycles anyway. Um, and so this space is brand new. I think a lot about his campaign, his presidency was built on, on disinformation, on the spread of, of wrong information. Um, and that often spread through social media. And this is something that we all play a part in, right? Every time you press share on Instagram, you are sharing information. Every time you retweet something, yeah. um, social media is predicated on sharing information. And I think as individuals, we all need to be uh, taking up that responsibility that whether we have one follower or a million followers, we have made a commitment to those people to share truthful, uh, helpful information. And so taking on that individual responsibility, but then I would also say that it falls on the backs of these large tech companies to better regulate. Absolutely. Um, that they are creating hotbeds for mis- and disinformation. Uh, and it's, it's a newer issue, right? So mm -hmm. they're trying to keep up as well, but... It's not one that we can just push aside. It has real life consequences, like life or death consequences as we're seeing in this pandemic. Um, and it is, a, it's an issue, it's a pressing issue. Yes. And you know, Facebook announced that they are gonna be deprioritizing political content. They made that announcement last week. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how those, uh, how that plays out, you know, as we head into, you know, the next couple of years, so. I think platforms, you know, they have a huge responsibility and that yeah. groups can also be a hotbed. Totally. Yeah. 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 
I want to just touch upon quickly, you know, the work you're doing in sex education yeah. and reproductive health. You know, you mentioned your award for Plant Parenthood and Catalyst for Change. These are really heavy issues, totally. but so important because, you know, health is key for, you know, reproductive health is so important for a woman. Mm -hmm. You know, what inspired you to use your voice for these causes? Yeah, like I, like I said, this was personal to me. This was the sex education I was receiving in my school. My exchange with my senator was about my birth control access, right? He had voted that day to strip me of that access. Um, and so it really is rooted in my personal experience. And knowing that when you have control over your body, you have control over your future. Um, and Indeed. we've seen attacks on reproductive justice uh, in this last year at a scale that we never have before. Uh, there was something like 600 new laws introduced this year. Um, and the tactic is uh, to inundate, uh, to make it hard to follow along. And when we're talking about state by state, um, things get really confusing, right? Sure. Um, and I know I can't be the only one who's just seen doom headline after doom headline, particularly around um, choice and abortion access. Uh, and the thing that I have to uplift here, though, uh, is, is this message that I keep hearing about people saying, like, you know, this is the first, like, credible um, threat we've seen to abortion access or to uh, choice. And uh, I always pause and, and remind people that there have been millions of women, particularly black, indigenous, women of color, low-income women, um, who have already had that right stripped from them because of a lack of access, right? Um, and that we need to be fighting that battle every day. Access to sex education, birth control, abortion. Sure. Um, that it is about so much more than this legal status. Well, absolutely, we have to uphold that, right? Like That's the standard, but we also need to be thinking about the intricacies of people's everyday lives, right? Can they afford to take time off of work if there's a waiting period? Uh, do they have transportation? Do they have someone to watch their children? Um, these, are, these are the realities of people's lives. And we have to remember um, that this legislation, uh, while yes, it's like shrouded in legal jargon, has impacts on everyday people. Um, and that's really where we need to focus is on access. I love that you're behind this movement and, you know, driving awareness. Yeah, I think agency um, is something that I talk about in so many ways, right? Uh, and it's not just about um, birth control access or sex education. Uh, agency is something that I want the young women particularly who follow me uh, to have in all spaces of their life, right? Whether that's making the choice to go on to higher education and be the first in your family to go to college or to make the leap to take that career jump, right? I want to embody what it means to be an agent of your own life. Uh, and I think that that is a powerful message um, and one that is deeply felt and needed. I love that you're, you're vocal about this because it, it's, it's extraordinarily important that women are speaking about women's issues. Yeah, yeah. Totally agree. And I, I'll also say, I think it's incredibly important that people of all genders are talking about this, right? Yes. I've seen a lot of silence from from men these last few days, which I don't appreciate, you know? Like, <laughs> uh, and while, yes, I, I agree that uh, the people most affected should be at the forefront, we should be uplifting their voices. I don't want to hear radio silence from the people who aren't affected, you yes. know what I mean? So when we're talking about influence and how we use it, 
Um, I think it's also important that people who aren't affected are are doing that uplifting, that amplifying, right? Indeed. I love that um, that we're all able to mobilize social media in order to, to do that. You know, we've seen in 2020 and, uh, I mean, up until now, too, just so many social issues happening back to back. Yeah. And just seeing, like, the, the rallying from all corners, I, totally. I think that was, like, awesome, especially when it's, like, groups that you didn't think would be allies in the space, but it's showing that there is love there. And, yeah. and you know, at the at the basis of it, we're all human. But even just going back to um, what you said about well, uh, most of the males that are in the legislature yeah. or just making these decisions on behalf of women, but also just seeing how quickly they did not want to wear a mask because <laughs> it's their, their body, their right. right. I thought that, that was the most ironic thing to see. But um, yeah, like, what is it? What's your take on that too? Because again, it's it's like they're making decisions on your behalf yeah. until something like so minuscule affects them. And then all of a sudden it's all hell breaks loose. Right. And I think that really, it speaks to what's at the core of this, that it, it's not about women's health for them. It's about power and it's about control. It, it really is so much deeper than any one issue, right? Uh, it's about maintaining the status quo. Um, and, and I am living proof of that, right? That when I had access to the sex education I needed and the birth control I needed, I was able to become the first in my family to go to college, right? I was able to be the youngest presidential staffer uh, across the 2020 presidential campaigns. Like, these were the things that empowered me to do this. Um, and I think that uh, the men, particularly Republican men uh, in elected positions know that, right? That if we all had access to the things we needed to make our own choices, that communities that they have not been supporting um, would be and, thriving. And would be thriving, <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah. Would be taking their, their seats. Um, and so every day, you know, we have to fight against this system that is uh, entrenched, uh, or rather the people who hold power in this system, um, because it wasn't built for us. It was literally built to keep us down. Um, and whether that's taking up space within the system or creating community-based alternatives completely outside of it, um, that's, that's how we, we create communities that are thriving. And for me, something that's really important is creating communities that are defined by choice. Um, and so that's, that's really the vision, whether uh, it's convincing politicians to help us get there, creating things outside of it, um, the vision is clear. Or forming your own girl gang. Or forming your girl gang, <laughs> absolutely, right? There's so much power in our personal networks and we have the power to create communities around us that empower us to have those things and uh, to have more choices and more opportunity. Um, and there is a lot of power in community for sure. And just in closing, um, what, what, what's your long-term vision? Uh, you're, you're you're at Columbia. You're yeah. gonna be graduating. Where are we gonna <laughs> see Deja Fox in five years? Um, well, I'll say that you know, in the short term, uh, I really have a goal uh, as I finish out college to have a lot of fun. Um, I hope that when I say that, uh, it gives other people permission, particularly other women of color to take that load off and be like, I deserve to have these experiences. I deserve to have fun. Um, so that's my priority right now. Uh, and I, I say that without any shame. 
Uh, but as you should. A, <laughs> you were, you're in New York City. Better enjoy. enjoy yeah, and I, I, worked, I worked my ass off to get to college, and I'm going to enjoy it. <laughs> um, and so, but when I think long term, when I think vision, I alluded to this earlier. Uh, my vision for this world um, is one that is defined by choice. One where people have the choice not only if and when to have children, right? but to raise them in healthy and thriving communities that are free from family separation or police violence or food insecurity, right? Where people um, and communities are empowered by choice to reach their full potential. Um, that's my vision for the world. My vision for myself, like I said, is to be a good role model, uh, to do my personal best and to do it publicly um, and to empower the, the people around me to do the same. Uh, because I believe that's that's how we create sustainable movements is when we invest uh, in the people around us because we're going to lose. I have lost some elections. I've lost some things, um, <laughs> some fights. Uh, but when we invest in people, we can't lose. So, Thank you so Love much, Deja. It has been phenomenal. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks to hear your story and get to know you a little bit better. You've got, you know, Carson and I are definitely champions of yours, so. Yeah, no, this is like, it's like mesmerizing to hear, though, the fact that you're changing lives of many and also advocating for so many people on your behalf while doing yeah. that. I think that that's just a, a special trait, you know, so thank, thank you. you for sharing that energy with us. Yeah. And I know we started with a quote, so I actually want to end with one. Please. Uh, Kamala Harris's mom would always tell her, uh, you will be the first to do many things but don't be the last. Uh, and I think that really resonates with me and I appreciate you uplifting that because that really is the goal, right? So thank you for sharing your space with me as well. And tell us where our listeners can find you on social. Yeah, you can find me on any platform. Uh, my username is just my name, Deja Fox, D-E-J-A-F-O-X-X. -X. Um, and they can connect with my community at Gen Z Girl Gang. Oh, thank, thank you so much, Deja. You are truly a creator with influence. Thank you. <laughs> this is Kiana. This is Karsten. And we're signing off. Creators with Influence is produced by the American Influencer Council, the sole 501c6 not-for-profit trade association in the U.S. created by and for career creators.